For those of you who haven't met me, I'm Dennis Bourne, and I lead our prayer team here. Shout out to the prayer team, the Faithful Eight. So I wanted to start off this morning with a question for for all of you, and this is for our adults and our kids in the room. Um, I want to hear from you. Uh, Who knows what it means to... Jason? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else. Who else knows what it means to play favorites? Somebody else. Go ahead, William. Yeah, yeah. And how does it make us feel when someone's playing favorites? Unfair. Unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Even if it's the one, even if we're the one receiving the favor, there's still a sense of that it's a little bit wrong, even though it feels kind of good sometimes. Um, And I spent a fair amount of time working with kids. And one thing I learned very quickly about kids is if you want to see a child's heart for justice, give one of them just a little bit more and you will see (laughs) how on fire for justice kids can be. So definitely keep that in mind if you are a parent or a teacher, because that is, nothing will be more disruptive. So I asked about playing favorites because that's going to be the the topic of our sermon today and our passage today. So our passage comes from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So if you can stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. So when I found out I was preaching from this particular passage, my initial thought was this is going to be kind of tough. There's a lot packed in to these 13 verses. But more so because 
this passage is already in the format of a sermon. It, it starts off with this uh, contemporary object lesson, and then it references God's commands in other scriptures, and, and then it ends with a restatement of the promises of the gospel. So everything you need in the sermon is already in this passage, so it's like preaching from a sermon, which makes it a little challenging. So James wrote his version of this sermon as a part of a letter uh, that he wrote to the Jewish Christians who was spread all around the known world at that time. And the goal of, of James's letter was to encourage these Jewish Christians to live the way that Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, had taught them to live. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor David started off uh, the sermon series in, in James by talking about us being peculiar as Christians. And what makes us peculiar isn't the, the way we dress, the way we, uh, the way we talk, the music that we listen to, even though those things can be strange for people who are not Christians. What really makes us peculiar are things like love and generosity and holiness. And James wanted these Jewish Christians to be peculiar because they recognized and avoided the sins that were oozing from the cultures around them, all the places that they were living. Regardless of the societal pressures they felt and the temptations they experienced because of them, he wanted them to be examples of humility and godliness and prayerfulness. So my message today uh, comes under the title, Mercy Over Judgment. And the particular sin that James focuses on in this passage is judgment. Like James, I want you to recognize the sin of judgment in our society and in yourselves and combat it with the godly value of mercy. So we're going to start um, with James's contemporary object lesson. Verses 1 to 4 of the passage reads... My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special favor or attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So depending on the version of this passage that you read, it, it comes with a heading. Uh, usually something like favoritism is forbidden or the sin of partiality or warning against prejudice. The point of the, of the passage as a whole isn't that you shouldn't prefer the rich or oppress the poor. It's just an example of, of favoritism or partiality or prejudice that people then and people now can understand and identify with. James could just have, as easily have used a parable about men and women or, or Jews and Gentiles or native people and foreigners. And he does, and the Bible does in lots of other passages. It could have been anything. And honestly, when, when I read this passage, 
what, what I heard, what came to mind for me was something more like, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing white skin and a man in black skin also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing white skin and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the black man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated against yourselves, among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Why have you dishonored the blacks? Is it not the whites who are exploiting you? Are racist whites not the ones dragging you into court? If you aren't killed before you get to court, are, are white supremacists not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to you belong? And when I heard that, um, I had to think about James's questions. And when I thought about the answers to those questions, it was even more convicting because, yes... I am making myself a judge with evil thoughts when I do this. And I dishonor blacks because even as a black man, I'm not any less susceptible to the lie of black inferiority. And yes, whites are exploiting blacks like me. And yes, whites are dragging blacks into court. And, And yes, there are white supremacists who are blaspheming God by using religion to reinforce white supremacy. But still that's not the point of James's passage at the heart of racism is a failure of empathy i'll say that again at the heart of racism is a failure of empathy and it's the same with any ism any prejudice um these things are designed by the devil to keep people just far enough apart that they can't see the lies that are holding these evil systems together. If we ever truly empathized with our others, with our neighbors, if we ever truly experienced their stories and their joys and their pains and their fears and their loves and their beauties and their ugliness... If we ever truly saw every person as a three-dimensional image bearer of our living God, it will be that much harder to casually destroy black bodies because we see them as reflections of God. It will be that much harder to casually covet whiteness because we would understand what whiteness costs even white people. It will be that much more difficult to casually demonize Latino men or casually fetishize Asian women or ignore people or or idolize the rich and famous. We often think of our partialities as, or our prejudices, we think of them the same way we think of, of God's grace. God's grace is designed or is defined as unmerited favor. And we have to understand that we don't prefer or show partiality to people out of love or out of the goodness of our hearts, completely disconnected from what we believe those people truly deserve. You make a judgment 
And based on your judgment, you decided that one person deserved more and one person deserved less. You made yourself a judge and you handed down your sentence. And that is the point of the object lesson. And with that in mind, we're going to move now to, to how James references God's commands in other scriptures. And his references are found in the second set of verses, verses 8 to 11. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. James is not challenging us to choose the right side. Being peculiar isn't about favoring the people that society oppresses and oppressing the people that society favors. I don't win at holiness by choosing the poor over the rich or choosing the black over the white. Sure, that's countercultural, but we haven't been called to be countercultural. We have not been called to set up our culture as a standard and then make a show of opposing it. We have been called to set up Jesus as our new standard and to make a show of running after him, running after being like him, running after loving like him. We're not here to win the game by changing the game or changing the rules or changing the prize or, or changing the playing field. We need to say, in the words of Daenerys Targaryen, that legendary white female abolitionist, uh, I'm not here to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. I'm not peculiar because I challenge or change the outcome of my judging process. I'm a Christ follower because I reject the notion that I even get to judge. Later in, in the book of James, in chapter 4, James says, But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So you see, we aren't called to be better or fairer or more righteous judges. We are not called to be judges at all. And James states very clearly that sitting in judgment of your neighbor isn't just role confusion or, or getting too big for your britches. It's sin. If I'm judging my neighbor, I might be rewarding them or condemning them. But either way, I'm setting myself above them. And if, if empathy 
isn't possible from that vantage point of sitting above someone, then love definitely is not possible from that vantage point. And if I'm not loving my neighbor as God commanded, then I am sinning. Thinking back to the example of racial prejudice uh, that I mentioned before as a way to frame this, uh, it reminds me of a quote from uh, Judy Copeland, who's a pastor and author. She said, we may be clueless and awkward around the subject of race, but we know what the gospel demands, that we keep working at being better neighbors. And the same way that we, that we rank people and we judge people and we rank the value of people, we also do the same thing with the severity of sin. We place sin on a continuum and we say that this sin is better or worse than that sin. And if you're anything like me, being, being a little judgy, playing favorites, is right up there with the sin of gossip or going over the speed limit. It's, it's just the equivalent of a white lie. But just like God is not a respecter of persons, he does not rank sins. If you break the law, God's law in any way, the whole law is broken. You can think of the law like a pane of glass. If I throw a rock through a pane of glass, or a brick through a pane of glass, or a cinder block through a pane of glass, that glass is just as broken. It does not matter. And my tendency to, to rank sin was triggered when, when James started comparing an adulterer to a murderer. And the way he phrased it made it seem like for his audience, the people who he was writing to, adultery was the bigger deal. And, and that felt strange because that's not how I think, that's not how I would weigh them. And that's not how current society weighs them. If you commit adultery these days, you could still be president. You could still be a pastor. But it's not the same for murder. A murder would have a much harder time playing either of those roles um, because we weigh those sins differently. But God is not a man. And as Galatians says, God is not mocked. You shall reap what you sow. And, and that idea of reaping what we sow brings us to James's conclusion. To his restatement of the promise of God in the gospel. The final verses of our passage, uh, verses 12 and 13 read, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus said something very similar. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. And, and Jesus added that not only will you be judged, but you'll be judged the same way that you judged others. You'll be judged with the same measure that you use to judge others. 
And that connects to the rest of what James said in that if you judge your neighbor without mercy, you too will be judged without mercy. In Romans, Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. Because through Jesus, the law of life given by the Holy Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. And because I believe that Jesus in his sacrifice has freed me, I live and I love and I forgive like someone who knows what it is like to be freed from sin. I forgive like someone who knows what it's like to be forgiven. I, I love like someone who knows what it's like to be loved in spite of myself. The freedom that I have in Christ restores my ability to have empathy for other people who are poor and oppressed and marginalized because I know that I was poor and I was oppressed and I know that I was bound to sin. And because I know that the only thing standing between me and poverty or oppression or bondage to sin is the blood of Jesus. Showing mercy or or having the, the power to condemn but instead showing kindness to our neighbors is not just an act of love. It's also an act of faith. James said that we are to act like those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. By faith, we believe that God, who is that one lawgiver and judge who will judge us all, who is able to destroy us, will instead choose to show us mercy and save us. So in faith and in gratitude for the mercy that we will be shown in the future when we are all judged, we spend our lives showing mercy to others. Thinking about about that particular idea made me think about the way that I drive. Um, so I spend a lot of time driving in prayer because um, whenever I see a car that's pulled over on the side of the road, either by the police or because it has engine trouble, flat tire, or whatever it is, I stop what I'm doing and I pray for them. I pray for the driver, I pray for the police, if it's a traffic stop, I pray for the car, um, I pray they have what they need, that they're rescued when they need to be. Um, and I, I don't even think about it anymore because I've been doing it for so long. One of my cars had a handprint in the ceiling because I would, I would put my hand on the roof of the car or the ceiling of the car um, as I prayed. And I don't do this because it's part of some intercessory prayer calling. I do it because I know how I drive. And I know that um, if any of you have, have ever heard the saying, drive it like you stole it, that is my motto. <laughs> um, 
I, <laughs> my, <laughs> my last uh, speeding ticket's been a while, actually. At least one in person. Those cameras don't count. Um, the... That my last speeding ticket was for going 79 on Lakeshore Drive, which has a speed limit of 45, and I think that's wrong. I think that speed limits should work like the economy. We're a capitalist nation. Our speed limit should be based on what the market can bear. I think if you can safely drive <laughs> 80 or 90, you should be able to drive 80 or 90. <laughs> and if you can't, you just stay on the right lane. And this has been my motto for a while. When I was younger, I would rent cars a lot, and this was awesome. I didn't have my own car, so I would rent a car, and if you can imagine that being my ethos, um, having a car that I don't have to pay maintenance on and I have that good insurance on, I absolutely drove that car like I stole it. Um, but my point is, I know, because that's the way that I drive, it's just a matter of time before either the police or my car says enough. And I want to know, or I do know, that it's just the grace of God that every time I get in my car, driving like that, usually because I'm running late, that, that I'm not in an accident or I'm not pulled over by the police or my car doesn't just give out. It's just the grace of God. And so I pray for the other drivers who are experiencing what I should be experiencing. To have mercy. To have grace. To have peace. Because I know that that's what I will want when that is me. And, and that, for me, is the idea of of reaping what I sow. And that is what we all should be seeking to do as we don't show favoritism, as we don't judge, as we show mercy and kindness and love to our neighbors. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus for his gift. For your gift of him and his gift of his life. And the gift of the Holy Spirit which frees us. Let us not take that freedom for granted, but let us use that freedom to free others. To show mercy to others. And when loving others calls us like James to point out sins in their life, let us be bold and willing to do that and to do that in love. And Father God, I pray right now that you will help us all to see where in our lives we are complicit with injustice. And you will give us the grace And the courage to change and not to fault or judge others before their change comes. In Jesus' precious name, amen.